It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all being here. It's our aim to worship our God as we've been instructed to do in the New Testament. And so we strive to do that each first day of the week. And we thank you all for being here and especially our visitors. Thank you for coming our way and being a part of this worship service here this morning. This morning, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about a false doctrine. Now, that might sound a little strange, and just speaking it sounds a little strange, but I will uh, submit to you that it's very important in understanding um, that there are false doctrines in the world, and they need to be refuted. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, Beloved, uh, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John recognized and told us that indeed we need to understand that there are false prophets out there and there's false doctrine out there. And we need to be able to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. And how, how do we go about doing that other than studying from God's word and studying what these false doctrines are so that we can better refute them? This morning I'd like to talk a little bit about something that's called premillennialism. And I will tell you from the outset that this is a very um, complex issue. Um, and we could go into great detail about each point and about many different points. For the purpose of our lesson this morning, I want to give you an overview of the false doctrine of premillennial premillennialism, and I'll stumble over that word more than once, I guarantee you. I want to talk a little bit about it, give you an overview, give you some of the basics, and then I want to give you from Scripture how this false doctrine can be refuted, at least uh, in part. So the purposes of our lesson this morning are to, to introduce this, and I hope in future lessons to come we might dive into this a little bit more deeply and talk about it in a little bit more detail. Premillennialism. What is it? Let's start with the basics. We're going to ask that question. We're going to ask what is premillennialism. And we're going to look at that there's some problems, and we're going to look at three problems that this false doctrine has. And the first one is that it discounts prophecy. We're going to look at the the false doctrine of the rapture. And we're going to look at this thousand-year reign and, and the way that this has been uh, taken out of context uh, from Scripture and used to, uh, to put forth that there is going to be an earthly kingdom in which Christ is going to come back and is going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And that's a false doctrine. We're going to look at that as well. And then after we look at these, these false doctrines, we're going to get to the truth of the matter. And along the way, we're going to be refuting these as we go too, but we're going to sum up and look at the very end uh, what it means for us as Christians. So let's start with this first question about what is premillennialism. If you look up some definitions, you'll, you'll get uh, some variations, but this is the, a couple of them that, that prove the point here. A religious doctrine that the second coming of Christ will occur before the millennium. That's where we get pre, or that's what they get pre, and then millennium. 
before the millennium. To narrow it down a little bit more, it's a belief that Jesus will physically return to the earth before the millennium, which is a literal thousand-year golden age of peace on earth. So this is the doctrine that is very basic, at its very fundamental level. And that is that there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ will return and set up a kingdom on earth that will reign for a thousand years. To look at it graphically, if you can see this, I think so. Um, and we're going to come back to this several times, so try not to get overwhelmed by this. But basically, this is a timeline. It starts over here to Israel and then the, the ministry of our Lord and to the cross. That's basically those elements there. What the premillennialists hold is that the ministry of Jesus Christ failed. And it failed because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ and they hung him on a cross. And because of that, God had to come up with a, an interim plan and that's what they call the church age. That the church came in as an interim plan to bridge the gap between the, the crucifixion of our Lord and the final judgment. And that's what the rest of this talks about. And so there's going to come a time, according to the premillennialist, that there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous. And then there's going to be seven years of tribulation on earth, and that comes from an extrapolation that they do from the books of Daniel and Revelation to come up with this seven-year number. There's going to be a time of tribulation on earth where the, those who are righteous have been resurrected and taken uh, to paradise and won't be a part of that tribulation. But then there'll come a time when Jesus comes back with the saints that were with him, and then the time on earth will be set up. This thousand-year reign of peace on earth will be set up. And then after that time will come the judgment where those who are righteous will go into heaven and those who are not will go into hell. That's it at this very fundamental level. So let's think about uh, some problems that uh, occur along the way. And like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. I picked some, a few things that help us, uh, I think, from the basic standpoint of understanding this error and, the, and this uh, doctrine that's being taught uh, erroneously. Let's talk about this idea, first of all, about discounting prophecy. Uh, go with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. <clears throat> In order to... Um, for the premillennialists to begin to, to chip away at what uh, the Bible says about the kingdom and the coming kingdom, they have to, at its very essence, and even though they won't agree to their, that this is what they're doing, they have to discount prophecy that's in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, it says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, there's some overtones here, some messianic prophecy that's, that's being talked about here. But what we want to really look at is what's coming up in the next couple of verses. Verse 19, And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who shall speak a word presumptuously in my name, 
which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Verse 21, and you, you may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. What's being said here? What's being said is that when God raises up a prophet, he puts the words in their mouth. And those words are from God. If the prophet goes off and says something that's not from God, he speaks presumptuously, then you're not to listen to that prophet. That's a false prophet. But if the prophet speaks and that whatever he speaks come true, comes true, you can know that that prophet is from God. And so we know from a verse like this that God's prophecy, if he has made a promise, it will come true. That's part of the nature of God, is that he keeps his promises. And so when we think about promises that God has, has made and keeps, go with me to Psalm 2. We can look at places like Psalm 2 and see a prophecy and understand, if we go to the New Testament, that that prophecy has been realized. And so we know that that prophecy is from God. We know that it's true. We know that it is his will that has come true. In Psalm 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 7, I will surely tell of the degree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give to the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. You know, part of the, the premillennialist uh, doctrine is that because man rejected Jesus Christ, that God had to change his plan and put in place this church age as a, as a stopgap measure. Verses like this, passages like this, tell us that's not it at all. Psalm 2 tells us about a coming kingdom. A coming kingdom that the nations uh, try to rebel against. That try to put in their own... Um, will and, and thwart the will of God. And what does it say about what God does? He laughs at that. He scoffs at that. Because the kingdom that he's going to set up is not going to be thwarted by man. He has invested in his son. Today thou art my son, I have begotten thee. That's where God's plan has been put in place. Through his son Jesus Christ. And it has always been his will 
for Jesus Christ to come to this world and to suffer and die on the cross. Devin, in his, in his words around the table, reminded us that in Isaiah chapter 53. That's a prophecy of the coming Messiah and the death that he would undergo. That's part of God's plan. That ushered in the kingdom. The church is not a stopgap measure. It was the plan. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, So will my word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without seceding in the matter in which I sin it. What does God say about his word? He says, I speak my word and it does not come back to me empty. It does not come back to me without accomplishing what I have spoken it to do. So what he spoke his word to do about Jesus Christ, about his anointed, was to save man from their sins and to set up the kingdom, set up the kingdom of God. That's the words that he has spoken. And those words have not returned to him empty. There's another problem in premillennialism, and that is this idea of the rapture. And the rapture just means a taking away, uh, a removing. The premillennialists hold that there's going to be a resurrection only of the righteous before this time of tribulation. We go back to our chart here, and this is the time here that we're talking about right here, that the rapture is going to come. The rapture of the saints, uh, a resurrection of only the righteous. This is part of their false doctrine. And it comes from a misinterpretation of 1 Thessalonians 4. Go with me there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Brad read from this um, in our scripture reading this morning. Uh, we are in 1 Thessalonians 4, but we're not going to start in verse 8. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest of those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. This is describing the second coming of our Lord. This is describing the time when Jesus has promised and will fulfill the time that he's going to come back to earth. And then there's going to be a judgment. This does not describe a time when Jesus is going to come or, or, and take away only the righteous. And then the world's going to carry on for seven years of tribulation and a thousand years uh, with the reigning of, of Christ on, on this earth. That's not what this is describing. One of the things they say about this is that this is not going to be um, a visible appearance that it's going to be done in silence, that, that, that this is just going to take place and, and those are, 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 that are righteous will just be taken away. Uh, 
and it'll be done in silence. There's a problem with that. If you look there in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. There's three things there that says that this is not going to be silent. A shout, the voice of the, archange, voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. That doesn't sound very silent to me. Nor does that sound like this is going to be something that's just going to appear in secret. The whole earth will know when this takes place. There will be no doubt about it. Because after this, the world will be done away with. So there's a real problem in using this text to promote a false doctrine like the rapture. There's something else in this that says... um, Then he will come once again for the tribulation, after the tribulation, to establish the earthly kingdom. So after the tribulation, after they've been taken, the righteous have been resurrected, there's the seven years of tribulation, and then there's going to be the earthly kingdom. And again, here's our chart. So this is the the rapture that happens, the seven years of paradise for those who are, are righteous, and then the second coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom on earth. And then that kingdom will reign for a thousand years. Scripture doesn't support that. Scripture doesn't talk about the Lord coming back and reigning on earth for a thousand years. Scripture talks about there being the resurrection at the end of time. And then those who are uh, righteous will go into heaven and those who are not righteous will go into purgatory, will go into hell. And there's something in this, in this that, they, that they miss the point on is that verse 17 there in what we read from 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Then those who are alive will remain and be caught up together with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall always be with the Lord. How can we always be with the Lord and then come back to this earth? That doesn't support, Scripture doesn't support that. When the Lord comes back, The eternity that we're going to spend is in heaven, not on earth. Then we come to the problem of the thousand-year reign itself. Premillennialists teach that Jesus is coming to establish a kingdom on earth that's going to last for a thousand years. And again, we go back to our chart, and this is that time right here. After the tribulation, after the the resurrection of the righteous, there's going to be a thousand-year reign on earth where uh, Christ is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem. The kingdom is going to be established. There's some things that they take about the, the battle of Armageddon and the, uh, the judgment of the saints, uh, the Jews return, Satan bound. Uh, some things that they're, they're getting from Scripture, but they're twisting them. And want to say that that's going to mark the beginning of a thousand-year reign. Again, Scripture doesn't support that. We can refute that by looking at a few things. First, let's go to Revelation chapter 20. There is a thousand-year reign that's talked about. And we find it right here in Revelation chapter 20. But it's important in understanding the timing in which these things take place. In Revelation 20, beginning of verse 1, it says, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of 
of the abyss and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the abyss and shut it off and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations no longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has the part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And we'll stop there in our reading and, and notice that the thousand years is talked about and a reigning with Christ is talked about. And there's a thousand years that's talked about in this passage. But what, when do those thousand years take place? Note what he says there in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has the part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is when we come up out of the waters of baptism to walk in newness of life. He says, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. Those of us who have put on Christ, who have gone through the death, burial, and resurrection through the baptismal waters, we've taken part in that first resurrection. And guess what? <laughs> we're reigning with Christ. The thousand years is the time in which we're living right now. The reign of Christ is now. It's not any future time to come. We're reigning with him right now. Look, if you would, over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Hold your finger there at Revelation and go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been studying uh, the letters of Peter, the life and the letters of Peter in our Sunday morning class. And we've just talked about uh, this idea of the kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beg your pardon, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were, not, not, you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You were not, have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does that tell us? It tells us that the kingdom of God has been established, and we're a part of it. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we're reigning with Christ right now. So the thousand years is not something that's, that's to come. It's right now. And so when we look at, go back to Revelation chapter 20, Here's where the mistake comes in. When we see verse, pick up at verse 7, it says, And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the, be uh, the beasts of the lake 
the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if we want to look and understand exactly where we are, if we go back to the end of verse 6, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Time period wise, that's where we are now. What's in the future is what's said in verse 7. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, when is that time? That's above my pay grade. That's a time that I don't know. But I know there's a coming time when Satan is going to be loosed. When thousand years are up, Satan will be released from his prison. There's going to come a time when Satan is going to go out and be able to deceive the nations. And you might think to yourself, boy, we might be living in that right now. What I can assure you of is that the thousand years are not in the future. A thousand years are now. What's in our future is a time when Satan's going to be released for a short time. And then Jesus Christ is going to come back, as he said he would, to judge the nations. So the thousand years is not something that's in our future, it's in our present. And that's the main thrust of premillennialism, and that's the main reason why it's wrong. Let's talk about some truths in all of this. Let's talk about the truth of the kingdom. In Micah chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. This is telling us that the house of the Lord is going to be established. That's the kingdom. There's a kingdom that's going to be established. And for the reasons we've talked about already, that kingdom came with our Lord Jesus Christ. He established the kingdom. That's the kingdom in which we are a part. There's also another truth to understand in this, is that Jesus is only coming back once. There's not going to be multiple uh, returns of our Lord. He's coming back once. Look with me over in Hebrews chapter 9. throughout Hebrews it speaks of our Lord doing things once for all how he did he he was crucified uh, he died for our sins once for all there's also another thing another once that's mentioned in Hebrews 9 verse 28 says so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many shall appear a second time. Shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who regularly await him. There's going to be a second coming of our Lord. The Lord which the coming that we're talking about is our Lord coming in judgment. There's not a time where he's going to come and take only the uh, the righteous, and they're going to reign or, or sit out, wait out the years of tribulation, and then they're going to come back and, and reign with, with him on earth. That's not at all supported by Scripture. The Hebrew writer says that he died, 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time. Without reference to sin. In other words, he's not coming back to set up another kingdom, to offer up anything else for sin. He's done that once for all. He's not coming back in reference to sin. He's coming back in judgment. And as we mentioned, we're in the thousand years. Look over in Hebrews chapter 1, a few pages over. And understanding about this thousand years is that we're living in the last days. There is no more days after these days, because the end of these days is marked by the destruction of the earth and the heavens. And the, as Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3, about the burning up of, the, of heaven and earth and all the elements. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 beginning, God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The Hebrew writer makes it very clear that Jesus Christ has come in the last days. He set up the kingdom. He returned to his Father. The only thing left for him to do is that second coming when he will come in judgment. There's no time after that on this earth. What it means to us. What does all this mean? Let's understand that Jesus Christ is the, the sole arbiter, the only way in which we can approach God, the only means by which we have salvation. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, says, and there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. So if we want to know what our salvation is, how we gain our salvation, we have to know about Jesus Christ and know what the word says about him. We read there from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, there's something that's, that, that precedes that that speaks about us. Verse 27 of Hebrews 9, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. You see where the premillennialists go off the rails is there's multiple resurrections, multiple returns of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says a man dies once and then the, and then the resurrection and Jesus Christ died once, and he's coming a second time. There's nothing else. We'll leave you with this. There is a time when Jesus is coming back, and it's a glorious time for those who have been faithful to him. And it's a very traumatic and terrible time for those who have not been. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, when our Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the second coming that scripture speaks of. At that point, it's going to be too late. If you have not obeyed the gospel, if you have not been faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ, that will be judged accordingly. 
a lot of the reason for the premillennialist um, doctrine is second chance. That there's going to be a second chance for people on earth to, uh, to, to get right with God and, 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 and be with Jesus on this, in this thousand year reign on earth. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a judgment. And those who have been found faithful will go with him to be in heaven for eternity with our Heavenly Father. And those who have not will go into hell in eternal destruction. Scripture is very plain in its teachings. It's only man that comes along and twists it for whatever purpose they might have. But from Scripture, we can see very clearly about what God has put forth. He established his kingdom in his son, Jesus Christ. And we're part of that kingdom if we are a child of God. And what we await now is the coming of our Lord. If we've been found faithful, if we've lived our life in, in righteous faith to our Lord, it's going to be a joyous day. But if we haven't, it's going to be a terrible day. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one, to be a part of the kingdom. And if as a child of God you are not living as you should in the kingdom, I encourage you to make necessary changes in that realm as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.